Welcome to episode four of the Nemo 50 podcast. Of course, you're listening to Jeff Nemeth and his uh, opinion on mixed martial arts. More, you know, notably UFC. Let's get into this. So, uh, yeah, we had UFC 257 over the last weekend. And holy shit, was it some uh, some great fights. I didn't get to see every single fight. I watched it with some family. So, you know, traveling during prelims and all that, so I didn't get to see every single uh, every single fight. But man, the main card was fucking bonkers. Uh, in this in this podcast, uh, I want to get into some other things. Of course, with UFC 257, the lightweight division where it stands again. You know, after you know the fights were over, and also uh, a couple um, I guess technique related uh, subjects. Something that I've been noticing in the UFC uh, at the highest level. So, uh, but first, I want to also get into some MMA stories. We got some breaking news. Uh, BJ Penn, the legend, the man, the myth, the legend. Uh, he has been arrested for DUI in Hawaii. I mean, he's been in some trouble constantly at the end of his UFC career. I know he's done. The UFC has cut ties with him. He is a, a future Hall of Famer, if not already a Hall of Famer. But, I mean, the dude's a madman. He's been fighting, you know, his pretty much his whole life. He's been in the early days of the UFC. He's fought in... He's a champ at the welterweight division, a champ at the lightweight division. Uh, he's fought Diego Sanchez, Leonardo Machida. I mean, the dudes fought the who's who, and some of those guys are still fighting today. So, I mean, I can't take anything away from the man. The dude's an absolute, like I said, he's a madman. You have you have to be you had to be that way back in that day when the, the UFC and mixed martial arts was finally breaking, you know, into the United States. Uh, but you know, don't don't get me wrong. The guys now they're still they're still madmen. But there is more calculated, in my opinion. I mean, hell, BJ Penn, he's done it all. He's been the lightweight champ, welterweight champ. Enjoy your beers, but do it responsibly. And then uh, I guess we're going to get into another topic that everyone is talking about is Jake Paul versus Ben Askren in a boxing match. It's going to be an eight-round boxing match. Uh, believe there'll be two-minute rounds. I'm not 100% on that. Don't quote me. But... Come on, guys. Cut Ben Askren some slack here. You guys are in the in the internet comments, you know, everywhere. Everyone's just saying, oh, Ben Askren has no striking. Yes, the dude is a phenomenal wrestler. Probably one of the best ever to compete in mixed martial arts. You guys are forgetting, man. This dude fought in 1FC Bellator, was a champ in both. The dude's 19-2. and two. I mean, he's never been knocked down besides the uh, the Masvidal knee, of course, the 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 viral knockout. I mean, but you guys have to realize something. Yes, he may lack in that striking department, but he's been training against high-level strikers his entire mixed martial arts career. I mean, come on. He's been working at a Rufus sport under Duke Rufus. The dude's a four-time kickboxing champ. He also, you know, works with strikers like Anthony Pettis. I mean, the dude... Look, you guys know who Anthony Pettis is? The Showtime kick. Come on, guys. Listen... You guys are sleeping on Ben Askren. Yes, his hands look terrible, but he's been in there with the best of the best. Uh, I mean, 
Ben Askren is an actual combat sport athlete. He is not Nate Robinson. He is not that YouTuber that he knocked out the, the first time he stepped into a boxing ring. Listen, I got to give Jake Paul like some props. Yes, he is working as a boxer. Yes, he has some boxing skills. But he is not a high-level boxer. Ben Askren has fought high-level boxers. I mean, really all Ben really has to watch out for is a heavy right hand from, from Jake Paul. And if he creates adversity in that fight... He, he could go out and grind a victory because, I mean, let's face it. We know Ben Askren is not going to knock out Jake Paul. He's not. But I guarantee you, he's he's been inside of a cage and locked in there with absolute killers and has been able to grind out wins and compete at the highest level for five-minute rounds. Locked in a cage. Jake Paul only has a right hand. People need to realize this. Just because he's knocked out a basketball player and a fellow YouTuber does not make him a high-level boxer. I'm going to repeat that again. Knocking out a NBA player, basketball player, and a YouTuber does not make you a high-level boxer. The I thought the video that they released right before the uh, Nate Robinson fight of Jake Paul's uh, sparring, I thought it was kind of distasteful, him just knocking out people. I mean... Yeah, I know there's hard sparring. You got to you got to get some hard sparring in. I mean, hell, look at uh, Max Holloway. Maybe you don't need hard sparring. But, I mean, he was just trying to probably send a kind of a message, I think, to Nate Robinson that he's he's in there to headhunt. I think uh, another thing is Ben Askren has a hell of a chin. Uh, I mean, once again, aside, anyone gets knocked out by that knee. I don't care what weight class you are. Jorge Masvidal runs, runs at you from across the, the cage jumps and puts a knee in your face, you're going to sleep. So let's not take anything away from Ben Askren, okay? Um, I'm not going to get into more of his wrestling accolades because I just want to get into into Jake Paul. I mean, once again, the dude has punching power. And when he fought Nate Robinson, he did have six early success uh, with his jab. And then, of course, uh, you know, that, that those overhand rights that just kept knocking down Nate. But has Nate Robinson ever been hit? Like, honestly, has that dude ever taken absolute 100% shots from another human being? He's not a fighter, man. He he got hit in the mouth, and he didn't have a game plan. And uh, once again, I brought this up already. You know, Jake Paul, his debut was against another YouTuber. Uh, another non-fighter. That's the big thing here. It's a non-fighter. I mean, I listen to, like, Chael Sonnen on The Bad Guy. Of course, I listen to Joe Rogan, Ariel Hawani, and they, they brought up uh, the fact that Jake Paul first called out the YouTube world. Now he, Then he called out the basketball world. And now he's calling out the MMA community. So, I mean, I, I guess it's a good call out. I mean, you, if you want to call somebody out that has the kind of been known to have, like, the worst hands in mixed martial arts, I mean, sure. Yeah, you're putting in the work, but I just feel like it's too early for a dude who's 2-0 and against a non-fighter to be taking on someone that has 21 fights, 21 actual professional fights. Askren's going to have just like the advantage of his experience of already being in the in, in, in this scenario where you're, well, in this case, it's going to be a boxing ring, but you're locked on locked in with somebody and you're going to inflict damage on each other. Until one of you 
either drops or takes a decision. He's been there multiple times. Jake Paul has only been there twice. So if I was to put my money on really anybody, it'd have to be Ben Askren in this fight. I know a lot of people are counting him out. I mean, Jake hasn't really experienced adversity. And I bet you when when Jake's pushed, I bet you like just like uh, Conor McGregor, I bet you he breaks. Um, and like I said, all he has is that overhand right, and he telegraphs it. He dips his head before he throws it. I think it could be timed by somebody that has experience throwing hands. And uh, and yeah, I mean that's what he used to knock down Nate. That's all he's got. The boxing match is going to be eight rounds. Who knows what kind of a gas tank Jake actually has. You're talking about Ben Askren. I'm telling you right now, that dude's going to have a gas tank. Any wrestler on this planet has a gas tank. So, you know, I uh, I put up 100 bucks with some, some some of my buddies at work. You better get ready to pay up in April, my friend, because I believe Ben Askren is going to take that fight. So let's get back into the MMA world, and let's get into uh, the main event, 257, what everyone was waiting for. I'm sure all of you. I've already seen the result of this fight. Even non-fight fans watch this fight because, of course, Conor McGregor, the notorious one, is just that big of a draw. So but I might as well say it anyways. The second round at the uh, 2 minute and 32 second mark, Dustin finished Conor McGregor after destroying his legs. Conor, uh, his right leg was destroyed by Dustin's left low kicks, uh, and those were to the calf of Conor McGregor. Uh, something that I just... I didn't understand was, you know, we've always seen Conor McGregor in there. He, he's always been really willing to switch stances and be kind of active. But in my opinion, Conor came out there kind of flat. Uh, I know I'm, I'm just going to, you guys already know I'm not a Conor McGregor fan, but I've pretty much, I've seen every single fight he's ever had. And in my opinion, he came out very, very flat in this fight. And when uh, Dustin was hitting him with those leg kicks, his, he referred to his leg as dead. I mean, I saw the uh, the uh, some pictures of the aftermath of his leg. Yeah, it was pretty swollen up. So basically, uh, Dustin did exactly what I thought the keys to uh, victory in this fight was, was to pressure Conor McGregor, and that's exactly what he did with those leg kicks. Uh, you know, once he saw that, uh, once Dustin saw that Conor was hurt, he poured on the volume strikes, very reminiscent of Nate Diaz, and, uh, and took him out. Uh, once again, it was just really interesting that after he was absorbing those kicks, he never really went to to check one of those kicks. And I don't know if if, if y'all are watching the fight. I believe the commentators brought up, you know, he, he probably needs to check those kicks. And um, so, which brings me up to something. I don't know if when you're sitting there, if you're if you've never fought before or striked before, kickboxed, whatever. I don't think anybody really knows what the commentator means by he needs to check those kicks. It maybe you know maybe you're thinking oh maybe he needs to get get out of the way. Yeah, that's one way of checking a checking a kick, get out of the way. But there's there's actually an art to it. So when a when a fighter throws a leg kick, he's targeting the muscles of the leg. It's either going to be on the inside or outside or the calf, and you don't want to target per se straight to the shin of your opponent because that's gonna hurt pretty bad if you just go shin on shin and uh when when checking kicks what fighters have been known to do as well as myself it, you know when i was still in the mix 
was to lift my leg and push my hips forward, letting my shin absorb the strike or redirect the energy, and then look for a counterattack of my own. In some instances, a check kick has ended up in a broken leg. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen the uh, broken leg between Anderson Silva and Chris Weidman in their second fight. Chris Weidman brought his leg up to check that kick that Anderson Silva was throwing. He ended up uh, connecting right below the knee where there's that sharp where the shin meets the knee. Really, really s solid piece of bone right there that he, he kicked and he ended up breaking his leg. And then another uh, example of, of, a, of a check kick was in uh, glory kickboxing. And it was another uh, broken leg between uh, Tyron Spong and uh, Gohan Saki. Uh, I will admit the Spong leg break, I learned about it mainly because it was reminiscent of the uh, the Silva break. I mean, it hit whenever it happened. I mean, it was on every MMA news website. Uh, but the instance of, of uh, but in this instance, Saki lifted his leg, pushing his hips forward in the direction of the kick. So, which includes his knee. He, he brings up his leg, sticks his knee out, and pushes his hips forward in the direction of the kick. And that's when Spong made contact, breaking his leg over the knee, where the knee and the shin meet on the leg. So, a check kick is a very dangerous defensive technique that I've noticed in the UFC. It seems to be a little uh, underutilized as, as of late. Um... You know, of course, we had the calf kicks in the uh, Dustin Connor fight, which it completely took uh, Connor's leg out of the equation. Connor couldn't stand. He leans against the cage. He takes a bunch of shots. That's all she wrote. Dustin took him out of there. Did a great job. But calf kicks are all of the craze as of late, and which brings me to my point and why I bring up the art of the, the the leg kick, the check, the leg check, uh, is. Why aren't these guys checking these fucking kicks? You're a high-level fighter. I'm Yes, I'm being very critical of Conor McGregor because he came out flat, and I've seen that dude change stances going from orthodox to uh, southpaw and back and forth. And in this fight, for some reason, he just didn't do it. And then real quick, I also got to bring up one thing that kind of pissed me off uh, the day after the fight. Don't be going around saying that Conor McGregor threw that fight. Those two men have way too much pride on the line to just throw a fight. And on top of that, way too much money involved. You're not going to, there, there's no one out there that's going to pay you more than what they're getting paid to just throw a fight. Get the fuck out of here. Bash me in the comments. I don't give a damn. I'm right. If you say either of those fighters threw that fight or planned to throw a fight, you're wrong. End of fucking story. So now let's go into the, uh, the next fight, and uh, after I got through the uh, the art of the the leg check, the, is uh, Dan Hooker, Michael Chandler. Holy shit! I did not see the fight going well. Actually, I did see the fight going this way. Whenever I brought up in the last uh, podcast, their uh, their keys to victory, Michael Chandler pretty much did exactly what I said that was going to give him the win, which was speed, power, and his catch wrestling. His catch wrestling. Dan Hooker was was afraid of getting taken down. That's why he was circling the outside of the cage so much. Movement, staying, you know, he was he ended up staying on his back foot, which is what I said Michael Chandler was going to do with his speed and power. You keep Dan Hooker on his back foot, he's going to find uh, find a way to finish that fight. And that's exactly what happened. Um, ultimately, that, you know, keeping him on his back foot get, provided the opening for Chandler to blast the overhand right, and he put Dan out. Um, so this is super impressive out of Michael Chandler, by the way. I mean, 
it's very just it's it's how the guy fights. It's how he's always fought in Bellator. It, it, the dude can't have a Borg fight. Um, but to sit there, be in the limelight, UFC debut underneath the, the notorious one and, and uh, Dustin Poirier to come out there and and put on a show like that. That dude, that dude's uh, he's definitely in the uh, in the mix now. He's got a number. Now he has a number by his name. Remember, he came into this fight unranked, fighting a ranked fighter. And not only did he fight a ranked fighter, he took out a ranked fighter inside of the first round. The Big Show didn't phase him one bit. Uh, I mean, yes, he's been he's been around the block. He's got you know twenty plus fights. Uh, I'm excited to see who he's going to fight next. And uh, what's crazy is after these two fights, I mean, of course. Habib's not coming back. Let's face it. He's not coming back. I was excited in the last podcast. I thought that maybe if these guys did something special, Connor would, I mean, Connor, uh, Habib would come back. I, I thought what Dustin did was, was spectacular. I thought what Michael Chandler did was spectacular. But if you really think about it, the only person that should be fighting for a title right now is Dustin Poirier. Dustin Poirier is fighting for a title next. Guarantee it. He's the guy. He's the number one contender. Uh, he took that spot from Justin Gaethje. Uh, but he's not interested in fighting Michael Chandler. I mean, some of the commentators have kind of brought up, it seems like it's kind of like a, a lightweight Grand Prix. Like, what that means is for, for people that don't know, you know, like the old school Pride days, they have Grand Prix. It was like a tournament style, like like fight. I mean, in the early days, you know, you could have fought five five times in a night. And won a belt, but anyways, not gonna go there right now. But we we basically thought common sense would say the winner between Conor McGregor, Dustin Poirier is gonna fight the winner of Dan Hooker and Michael Chandler. Well, now that we've had you know Dustin Poirier come out and, and win, you got to realize that Habib's already fought and beat Dustin. He's already fought and beat Conor, regardless of whoever won that fight. No, he hasn't. He hasn't fought Michael Chandler, but has Michael Chandler earned the right? to fight who is now considered the greatest lightweight of all time in Habib Nurmagomedov. Uh, I don't think so. And that brings up to the next point is the reason why, that's the same reason why Dustin's not open to fighting Michael Chandler, even though he defeated Dan Hooker. Well, for one, Dustin's already beat Dan Hooker. Uh, And for two, this is Michael Chandler's first fight. Dustin Poirier has paid his dues. Yes, Michael Chandler's paid his dues in the sense of, you know, he was fighting, he fought Bellator forever. He's fought Eddie Alvarez. He's fought Benson Henderson. The list goes on who he's fought, but not in the UFC. Not the top tier lightweights in the world. So I kind of agree. It's, it's a good argument from, from Dustin. He's paid his dues. Michael Chandler has not. So which brings up who's next? I mean, you could literally have Dustin fight Charles Oliveira. You could have him fight uh, Justin Gaethje. He doesn't want Michael Chandler. He's already beat Justin Gaethje. And obviously Gaethje wants that fight back. Um, I, I don't know. It's, it, to me, it seems like it's going to be Charles Oliveira. I mean, that dude broke my heart by destroying Tony a second time. Tony Ferguson, that is. Uh, and I just feel like it's Charles Oliveira is probably the, probably the next guy in line. I don't know what the uh, matchmakers are are thinking, but you know you could also do uh, Charles Oliveira against Michael Chandler. Maybe that's that could get Michael Chandler, you know, one more win, and then maybe he could be the guy that Dustin's like, okay, yeah, now we can do this. Uh, 
Oh, man, this whole division is crazy. You could have Justin Gaethje versus uh, uh, Charles Oliveira or Justin Gaethje against Dan Hooker, Justin Gaethje against Michael Chandler. I mean, you could really go anywhere for a number one contender fight against Dustin. I don't know where what's going to happen. Connor still fits in there in multiple ways, but I just don't see him as a title contender. I think, uh, honestly, I think Connor's more of a gatekeeper now. I don't know if you guys agree with me on that, and I'm not trying to talk shit on Connor, which I normally kind of do, but I really do see Connor as a gatekeeper. I, I don't, I mean, I don't see him fighting for a title anytime soon. I know he's already uh, been campaigning for a a trilogy fight with uh, with Dustin, and he's trying to make that for a uh, a title, but. The dude, realistically, has only won one fight in the uh, lightweight division. Well, two fights. You know, Eddie Alvarez. Well, no, it wasn't even at, at uh, lightweight. When he beat um, Cowboy, that was at 170. That was at welterweight. He's have, he has more wins at welterweight than he does at 155. That just goes to show you how tough the 155-pound division actually is. Uh What's probably going to happen with Connor? I bet you, uh, so his coach, John Cavanaugh, already brought up the rematch with Dustin. I don't think that's going to happen. Um, John Cavanaugh said that Connor may drift away into boxing. I mean, hell, I, I mean, why not? Go make your money in, in boxing if you're just going to be, in my opinion, a, a gatekeeper in the UFC. In my opinion, the belt's got to go through Dustin. Dustin's already uh, stopped Connor, first one ever to stop Connor. Uh, inside the cage, so I think that's uh, that's that for Connor. Uh, as for lightweight division, it's going to be crazy. And then one thing I do want to throw in there that no one is talking about that I think is a good idea: throw Max Holloway in there. Max Holloway looked fucking phenomenal against Calvin Cater, and he uh, he had a relatively um, Competitive fight with Dustin Poirier. I mean, Dustin Poirier kind of threw a little jab in there saying he's the best boxer in the UFC because he already beat Max Holloway. But Max Holloway's already achieved another level. I think Max Holloway could fit in this this world of Charles Oliveira, Dan Hooker, Dustin uh, Poirier, Justin Gaethje, and Michael Chandler. Man, I think think Max Holloway and Michael Chandler would be a a pretty pretty cool fight. I think think Max Holloway fits... Everywhere in the lightweight division, but of course he's chasing the uh, the featherweight gold. So we'll we'll see where uh, where Max Holloway fits in this. And then uh, let's go ahead and keep going down the line of UFC 257, a fight that I also picked incorrectly, uh, which was going to be the Amanda Rebus versus um, Marina Rodriguez. You know I was wrong. Amanda Rebus was beat. She got knocked out. And this there's a little controversy around this fight. I don't know if anyone saw it, but. Uh, yeah, there was a there was a ref, you know, questionable stoppage. I'll get into that in just a second. But uh, Rodriguez was right. She said it was risky for uh, Amanda to uh, strike with her, and it was it was true. She shut Rebus off in the middle of the fight. I mean, face planted her, and everyone is giving Herb Dean a really hard time about stepping in and not calling the fight because he kind of tripped inside, like he was going in there to stop it, and then he decided not to, and he didn't. Wave the fight off. He didn't wave it off. So he, once again, let me say this again. He did not stop the fight. Was it bad positioning by the ref? Yes. Was it a stoppage? No. Could it have been stopped in all fairness? Yes, but it was just a misstep. But once again, 
in my opinion, Herb Dean did not stop that fight. Did it look pretty? No. Is fighting really pretty? No. Those refs have a really tough, tough uh, job in there to to stop these fights and when to stop them. When are the, when's the fighter taking too much damage? Protecting the fighter. There's so much that's going in into these fights, including the rule sets. Um, Herb Dean made a misstep, not a not a uh, a bad stoppage. So leave Herb Dean alone, guys. He made one mistake. Oh, he's made a couple mistakes, but I'm not going to get into those. Now, let's get into the uh, the next fight, which was another female fight, which was uh, Joanne Jojo Calderwood versus uh, Jessica I at, at flyweight. This was a fucking barn burner, super competitive fight. Um, one thing that I noticed was, well, for one, uh, Joanne was just awesome in the clinch. She just kept throw, digging those knees into the liver and the body of Jessica I. And man, is Jessica I tough to take those shots and keep moving forward. Didn't even look like those shots hurt her, but I guarantee you those fucking hurt. The body shots and liver shots are the absolute worst. I have finished a fight by kicking a dude in the liver, and he folded like a fucking piece of paper. And man, Jessica I was just eating those knees without a problem. Uh, you know, once again, John's clinch work was just on point. She kept getting better and better. Uh, as the fight went on, and her, she got the better of each striking exchange between the two of them. In my opinion, I saw really uh, like she took a uh, page out of uh, Valentina Shevchenko's book whenever she fought uh, uh, Jessica I, and she went high with the uh, left kick, which is what Jessica I uh, historically was knocked out by in a uh, exciting fashion by Shevchenko. But yeah, Joan went went high with that left leg kick. Didn't take her out, but it was enough to uh, to to take the victory, a, a, an easy uh, unanimous decision uh, for Joanne Calderwood. And then uh, I heard something in the in the fight. I, I know that they try to make the uh, Joanne Calderwood Calderwood versus uh, uh, Valentina Shevchenko, and the and the commentators were kind of calling for it. I mean, but man, Joanne's only ranked number six. She took uh, Jessica I to decision, and Valentina took Jessica I completely out. Um, I, I, I believe. I, I mean, I don't really like that fight for for uh, for JoJo. I think uh, Valentina's too damn good. I mean, in the end, Valentina's been clearing out the fucking division. Uh, I think there's only one person that really deserves that. Uh, that title shot right now, and I think that's going to be Jessica Andrade. Um, I don't know if, if you guys know uh, who Jessica Andrade is, but she had a uh, violent KO victory over uh, Caitlin uh, Kuigan. I can never say her name right. I mean, I'm a fan of, of, of JoJo. Don't get me wrong. I'm just speaking my opinion. I don't think she should be next in line for Valentina. I think it should be Jessica Andrade. Uh, I don't know if you guys had seen that fight between uh, Jessica Andrade and Val not Valentina, uh, Rose Namajunas the first time around when Rose was dominating that fight and then the powerful Jessica Andrade just picked her up, dumped her on her head and knocked her out. She did lose the, uh, the rematch, but that just goes to show you how strong uh, Jessica Andrade is. She's a finisher. She finished the uh, the last number one contender, which was Caitlin Kuigan. So right now, I think it it just only makes sense that we, if we're gonna go off of this fight, Joe and Caldwell versus Jessica I for a number one contender, I I disagree. 
I think it should be uh, Jessica Andrade, but that's just my opinion. All right, and now let's go into uh, so those are really the recap of uh, UFC 257, just kind of like my opinion on what's going on. Let's go into the what's going to be happening uh, this weekend, which is actually going to be tomorrow night, which is going to be Alistair Overeem versus Alexander Volkov in a heavyweight clash. Finally, we're getting some heavyweight action. I've always I said from day one on this podcast that the heavyweight division's been kind of stagnant, but now we're uh, we're getting in there. And uh, another thing is, for some reason, this uh, this fight card hasn't been confirmed by the UFC. I'll have to double check because it is Friday and the fight is is tomorrow. Because there's a couple other exciting fights that I saw that was on a uh, on a card. I, I don't know what website I, I found it found it on, but I did. But it's gonna be a super exciting fight between two strikers that these both these guys are not gonna back down. Uh, and I do believe someone's going to sleep. There's gonna be this fight's not gonna go to decision. Both these guys are super seasoned. Uh, Al- Alistair Overham's record is 48, 18, and 0. Well, with one no, no contest. And uh, Volkov is sitting at I believe 32 and 8. So these guys have been around the block. Uh, Overeem and Volkov's range on the tail of tape is exactly the same, but uh, Volkov is a slightly taller fighter. Uh, that being said, I believe even in Alistair's older age, he's he's the more powerful fighter. You know, getting into his into his forties, uh, Volkov maybe I think in my opinion the more savvy striker. Uh, he likes to be at range, regardless of uh, of range power. There's going to be fireworks in this fight. Uh, I, I think someone said, I don't, I don't know if, it, if this is Alistair's last fight on his contract or not. I don't know if this is going to be his last ditch effort at a, uh, a title run. I, I'm not, I'm not 100% sure. Uh, I think it'd be if he, you know, blows Volkov up. I think it, it could uh, very well maybe one more, one more run at the title. I mean. He's got to get through uh, Stipe and Francis. That'd be nuts. Or or uh, John Jones at, at that. So uh, I'm not sure. I mean, we'll, we'll see. You know, we got the uh, former K1 champion, Alistair Overeem, taking on uh, Alexander Volkov. I think it's going to be, like I said, a pretty exciting fight. And then there's another fight on this same card. Because once again, hey, this is also a free fight. So you guys can watch this on ESPN+. Plus. Yes, I know it takes it costs $5.99 a month to watch. It's not technically free. But hey, it's not seventy dollars. So uh, then we have a a very interesting fight at lightweight, which is going to be between uh, Michael Johnson and uh, and Clay Guida. I'm excited about this fight. I, I think it's a bad fight for Clay, but I think it's going to be an exciting ass fight. Uh, I think it's a it's going to be the retirement fight for uh, for Clay Guida. I mean, we've seen this dude every time this dude fights, he's always covered in blood. I, correct me if I'm wrong. Has that dude ever had one MMA fight? Or he doesn't get cut. I mean, this fight's going to be a slugfest between Michael Johnson. He's just one of those guys that he can't be in a boring fight either. And regardless if he's losing, there's no quitting this dude. Uh, and, and, I mean, that's the same. Same goes for, for Clay Guida. Always crazy exchanges like back in the day with Diego Sanchez. And uh, even though, like I said, it's a retirement fight for Clay, I think it's going to be a tough night for him. Uh, Michael Johnson is just game. I mean... He's the only guy I know in the UFC that has lost his last eight fights out of 11, and he's still under the promotion. And that's because he's always fighting tough competition. He's always fighting the top of the top of the heap. He's fought the likes of Habib. He's fought Justin Gaethje. Both times he lost. But, I mean, those th- those two names alone is nothing to to, to scoff at by, by taking an L from those guys. I, you can't take anything away from them. 
uh, even though he's been fighting top, you know, top uh, competition, he's just been he's been fighting way better fighters than Clay has his entire career. I'm not gonna count Clay Guida out, but I mean Michael Johnson, I think is gonna gonna finish this fight. Uh, and then let's move on. There's another interesting fight on this card. It's gonna be against uh, oh yes, the the legend, the answer. Frankie Edgar versus Corey Sandhagen at bantamweight, 135-pound bout. Another fun, fun matchup. Uh, we already know how tough Frankie Edgar is. I mean, he had the rubber match with Gray Maynard. You know, those are just absolutely just uh, legendary fights. But, uh, I mean, shit. Corey Sandhagen, this dude's no slouch. He's super long. Absolute rising star. He took out Marlon Marais by KO. He knocked out Marlon Marais. I mean, at 135, yes, he looks like a stick. And what what was that uh that thing that uh Dan Hooker said? Oh, he's seen broomsticks thicker than uh than uh, Charles Oliveira. Same thing for Corey Sandhagen. That dude is he's skinny, but he's got some uh some knockout power. Uh, I just didn't expect him to take out Marlon Marais the way he did his last fight. That being said, uh Corey's been stepping up the top competition basically his entire time in the UFC. He's fought Marlon Marais, Rafael Asensio, and uh, Al Germain, who's actually fighting for the 135-pound uh, belt. <sighs> Frankie, on the other hand, yes, he is top five in the uh, bantamweight you know, uh, division, but he's lost his last three of five. He is coming off a win against Pedro Munoz. But, man, I think Corey is a big step up in competition, regardless of that, fa- that fact that, you know, did I say he's top three? He's top five. Frankie's got to be top five, not top three, because uh, Corey's top three. It's going to be uh, Jan, uh, Aljermaine, Sterling, and then Corey. So, yeah, Frankie's still top five. But, yeah, that's going to be a big step up for, for Frankie. I, I don't know if he's going to be able to get through through Corey. I think Corey's a, he's just a... The new breed. He's the, the new breed of fighter. Uh, Frankie's going to have issues dealing with the fact that Corey's also, he's 5'11". He's a tall dude for 135. Frankie is only, he's only 5'6", and there's only a two-inch reach, two reach advantage between the two of them. For, of course, Corey, when you're 5'11", you should have longer limbs. But, unfortunately, I just don't see this fight going, um, going uh, uh, Frankie's way. I think Corey's going to take this fight easily. And uh, he'll be the next in line after Jan and uh, Alderman Sterling fight each other, and, and that's another super uh, interesting fight. You know, you know, Alderman looks looked uh, looked awesome against uh, Corey Sanhagen, and and Jan, the dude's a just he's a stout beast. So we'll we'll see what happens in that fight. I, I really couldn't tell you who who's going to win that one. I really can't. I'm I'm really excited for that, but. And then I want to kind of also bring up something that is not UFC related again. I wanted to get into um, what Bellator might be uh, be ready to announce. So there was a uh, back in 2020, there was a uh, little a little like teaser about a uh, possible Grand Prix in the light heavyweight division, very similar to uh, like the, the Pride days. I mean, dude, the light the light heavyweight division in Bellator, I think, might rival, if not be better than the UFC's light heavyweight division with the exit of John Jones, of course. John Jones is now fighting at heavyweight. John Jones is the light heavyweight GOAT. He actually might just be 
the goat. Yes, we can get in that into that debate with you know him get testing positive for steroids. Does that take him out of the running? We can do all that, but I'm not going to. I'm going to talk about just what Bellator has done with their light heavyweight division. So they they signed uh, Corey Anderson, who left the UFC. Great pickup by uh, by Bellator. Then they then they also uh, signed Anthony Johnson, who was an absolute beast. That dude is huge. Uh, and then uh, Yoel Romero, of course, he was cut by the UFC uh, what a few months ago, and now he's announced he's gonna be fighting at two hundred five. And that dude has the best physique in MMA aside from Francis Ngannou, and I still think he's the scariest dude I've ever seen fight. I mean, hell, look at that fight between him and uh, Paulo Costa. That was a hell of a fucking fight. And his fights against uh, um, uh, Bobby Knuckles, uh, Robert Whitaker. Uh, those were those were another set of good fights between that with that that dude. Let's see who else is in the uh, light heavyweight division. So we have uh, Nadman Nemkov. Not really that that I don't really know him, but Ryan Bader, another beast from the UFC, is in Bellator. Phil Davis, another beast from the UFC. And Lyoto Machida, he's kind of on his last leg. He's been fighting for a long time. And then you got to throw in the fact that uh, you got uh, Gegard Mousasi. He was the 185-pound uh, uh, champ at a Bellator who's looking to capture another another belt in the uh, in uh, Bellator's promotion. So, I mean, yeah, that's, that is a stacked-ass division. Stacked fucking division. I'm excited for that. I will actually probably be paying paying Dazen so I can watch those fights. I'm pretty excited about that. So if the if Bellator actually announces a uh, light heavyweight Grand Prix, that's going to be the promotion to watch for the light heavyweight division in all of mixed martial arts. That's going to be fucking sick. So if y'all want, go uh, go YouTube some of these names. YouTube the names of uh, like Ryan Bader, uh, of course. YouTube uh, Yoel Romero, Anthony Johnson. And yeah, and Gegard Mousasi, that dude's an absolute assassin. If you don't, don't know, if you don't know who Leo Machida is, you've been sleeping under a rock. The dude's been fighting forever. Go YouTube these names, because that's going to be a fucking awesome Grand Prix. And then uh, I just want to end this podcast by uh, doing a quick rundown of uh, some up and coming UFC events. Uh, we have uh, Usman versus Burns on uh, at UFC 258, which is going to be the next paid pay per view. And that'll be on uh, February 13th. And then we have, uh, oh yeah, Curtis Blades versus Derek Lewis on February 20th. And it's going to be a free fight on ESPN+. Plus. So I'm so looking forward to that fight. We're get, the, UFC, the, the heavyweight division in the UFC is getting a jump start in 2021. I'm super excited. And hopefully we'll have a, uh, an announcement from John Jones of when he's going to be fighting. And then we have... Uh, it was a fight night with uh, Dominic Reyes versus, I guess it's either Jury or Yuri Pro Chexica. Can't say his name, but that's on February 27th. And then, of course, we have a huge light heavyweight bout with uh, Jan Blahowitz and, uh, of course, uh, Israel Adesanya for the uh, Champ Champ opportunity on March 6th. That fight is probably out of what I've announced so far is the one I'm most excited for. I've, oh, I always love watching Israel fight. And then, of course, it'll be the third time's the charm for Edwards versus Chimaev. We're going to smash your guy, Chimaev, on March 13th. That's another uh, free fight night. Man, that's going to be a... Oh, it's not a break. It's going to be just within a week. 
We'll have the uh, find out who who's going to be the uh, future light heavyweight champion, and then we'll have the Edwards Chimaev fight, and then of course the heavyweight showdown, the baddest man on the planet, Miocic versus Nganu two. March 27th, UFC 260. And we all know Francis Ngannou is the people's champ against the actual champ. You know, I, I don't see I don't see Francis beating beating uh, Stipe. I've said that before. But, uh, yeah, that looks like that's pretty much it for this podcast. I, I got to get ready to go uh, get ready for my hunting trip tonight. Got to get all my stuff put together. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed listening. I really appreciate it if you uh, got through the entire podcast. Uh, sorry it wasn't as exciting as the last one, but you know what? That's how the shit goes. But uh, So that's going to be me signing off, and I just want everyone to remember that Jeffrey Epstein didn't kill himself. <laughs>